Welcome to the QAV podcast. If you're brand new, I just want to introduce the podcast a little bit so you know what you're getting yourself into. If you've listened to the show before, feel free to just fast forward a minute or two. If you're brand new, here's the deal. Uh, my name's Cameron Riley. Tony Kynaston is an old friend of mine. He's a very successful share market investor. I'm talking very, very, very successful. He's been doing it 30 years. He's one of the best in the country in terms of a private investor. Very good uh, track record over 30 years. And what this podcast is about is Tony basically teaches me everything that he knows about investing in the stock market. And you get to listen. But if you're coming into this for the first time, you'll find that this episode, the current episodes, assume a certain level of prior knowledge. We assume that you know what we're talking about, his system, his methodology, which we explain in earlier episodes. So feel free to listen if you want to get the vibe for what's going on, but some of it's not going to make much sense unless you understand what the checklist is, etc. I recommend if you're brand new, you go back and listen to uh, Season 3, Episode 1, Episode 3 and Episode 5, where we go into Tony's background and his system and his methodology in a lot more detail. And then feel free to listen to the contemporary episodes, the current episodes, you'll understand more of the context of what we're talking about. With that, let's get into today's show. Welcome back to QAV, Tony Kynaston. This is episode 349, season 349. Recorded the this one of our final days of uh, Trump, uh, Monday the 26th of October 2020, 3.08pm <laughs> Queensland time. That's a big call. Uh, do you think? You think it's a big call? I do. I think he, he's still in with a big chance. Really? And what are you basing that on? 38% of, of the vote will vote for him, and I think the like elections, I don't think they've had 76% turnout in an election since, I don't know, for 100 years at least. They normally get, they're lucky if they get 60%, so if he gets 38, he's home. But hold on, 30, he doesn't get 38% of the entire population, he gets 30% of the people who turn up, which is 60%. So yeah. it's 38% of 60, so that's still a lot less than 50% of 60%. Well, he got more than 50%. Well, no, he didn't. He got a bit less. He gets more than 38% less, yeah. of the people turning up. But he gets 38 What I'm saying is that he gets 38% of people anyway, and they overrepresent during the elections. Well, maybe. It all depends. But uh, I'm wondering your... your uh, checklist for figuring out his chances is it your QAV checklist or is it your ponies checklist? Because your fucking ponies checklist, my friend. You haven't uh, seen my ponies checklist. I had a good day on the punt on Saturday. Well, I'm just talking about your actual ponies. I'm like five nil for five at the moment. I think uh, betting on your horses. Oh, well, you drew. We drew a win. Yeah, Bella Nipatina ran second, which was a bit frustrating. She drew a very wide barrier and couldn't get in. So, but she ran really well. But yeah, no, I agree. It's frustrating for us too. <laughs> <laughs> More for you than for me, I think. Yeah. But thanks for your support. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got millions invested in these horses. I've put like twenty-five bucks behind them in the last week, which. You know, millions for you is like 25 bucks for me, but uh, in the end, but still. 
Uh, uh, well, it's all good fun. It is. Um, well, we'll see what happens. So the US election is what? Uh, basically Tuesday. a week away. Yep, next Tuesday. Yeah, well, next Tuesday yeah. their time. But of course, we probably won't know the result for weeks after that, they tell us. So that should be a fun period. Fun and games. Yeah, lots of voters. I have popcorn of, ready. Lots of mail-in voting going on, so that'll take a while to count. And of course, there'll be disputations all over the place, and including mm. Trump will dispute leaving potentially, so who knows. Well, before we get into the Q&A for this week, um, I wanted to let you know that eagle-eyed uh, and very engaged, I, I, I think Brett must still be on uh, the COVID uh, tit, whatever it was called, job seeker, because uh, he sent us like 15 detailed emails this week, which is great. We appreciate it, Brett. But he's also done a lot of coding work on the dummy portfolio. So if you have a look at the dummy portfolio in the last tab, I have uh, thrown his uh, version of the dummy portfolio in there. He's created some code that ought automatically throws in the sell price. And I haven't gone through it in detail, A, because I haven't had time, B, because it would probably be over my head, but I did compare it with the manual sell prices that I had eyeballed, and they seemed to be about the same. So I thought you might uh, want to take a look at that sometime when if, if you have the time. Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do that. Um, I haven't seen it yet. I did have seen some of the, some of the emails from Brett. Which is oh, good. we're going to get into those in a minute. Yeah, yeah they're great. Yeah, detail, I think, detail, uh, graphs, charts, everything. Okay, so I'll buy list, test, auto, sell price list. Okay, I'll have a look at it. He's taken, I think, your the sell price calculator yeah. and uh, put it into the dummy portfolio. Okay, which is uh, you know looks good, looks great, and then it also tells us what to do. Hold, so you know I don't have to, you know, compare my sell price with the current price manually. Oh, that's the, okay. like that's the one that Brett sent us as a standalone spreadsheet. Got it. Yeah, and then he he did, and then he put it into Google Sheets. I think it was already in Google Sheets. He tried, he put it into Excel, but then he said it said to me, oh, "Look, I can share with you my Google Sheet version of it." And I go, "Well, that's easy. I can just copy that into mine." So mm-hmm. anyway, we'll have a look at that. People can check that out and see what you think. See if you think it. It's up to scratch, uh, but thank you to Brett for putting in that effort. We appreciate it. Dr. Copper, Tony. Dr. Co- oh, no, before we talk about Dr. Copper, we have to talk about uh, GRR and CAA. Well, it's all part of the same thing, so let's, let's talk about the whole lot together. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. All righty then. Yeah, uh, okay. So um, I read an article in the AFR on the weekend talking about Dr. Copper and that's a, an old name for copper, or an old name in the share market for copper. And it's called Dr. Copper because it's often an, a leading indicator of uh, improvement in the global economy. And uh, so therefore it's like a professor of the global economy, Dr. Copper. Anyway, uh, so that made me... And the reason for that, just, just before I go on, the reason for that is copper is often used in uh, you know, um, building homes. If they're expanding, then uh, copper gets used more. And that's a sign of uh, of global um, growth. Uh, anyway, so uh, I went to Index Mundi and had a look at the copper price and thought, yeah, it's just gone through a three point buy line, and uh, that that's a 
that's something I remember happened at the time that I started buying gold shares four odd years ago or so. And, uh, and I think it probably coincided reasonably close with Fortescue Metals Group in terms of iron ore prices, but I'm not sure about that one. Anyway, so I, I, I had a look at um, our buy list and the only sort of standalone copper company we have in the buy list is C6C, Copper Mountain, which is a small one. But it has uh, its share price graph has shot up in the last couple of weeks. So I'm I'm thinking that there there probably is a, a bit of a case to look at these changes in commodity prices and uh, and look at our buy list and promote something which may be lower down the list and buy it next, just on the strength of the underlying commodity going through a buy signal. And I had a look at the uh, I went through next Monday and had a look at the other metals as well, and it also um, the, the three-point byline is also happening, not just for copper, but also aluminium and zinc. And going through our list, we don't have any zinc plays. There are very few standalone zinc miners that I can think of. Um, but there are there is there is an aluminium uh, company, CAA, Capital, Capital Aluminium, and that's on our list too. So my thought was we we bought uh, GRR last week. Uh, and that that's still, I think, about the same price as what we paid for it. So I'm thinking we, we might swap that out of the dummy portfolio and swap in CAA, which is higher on our buy list than C6C. But I'm also thinking, Cam, that uh, we might swap out Schaefer Corp, the second purchase of Schaefer Corp, which uh, has come back a little bit but still hasn't uh, done much for our portfolio since we bought it after the uh, last results. Swap that out for C6C so we have some exposure to the upturn in copper and aluminium. And uh, just just to go a bit further with that, I want to declare that nickel also went through its three-point buy uh, line oh, maybe a month or two ago, and I did the same process back then, and I found a company called um, whose code is NIC. I think it's just called Nickel Mines. And I bought a little bit of that for my own portfolio. It's, it doesn't um, rate on the buy list for QAV, but it was, I think, a standalone nickel mine, which was, um, I think from memory at the time, it was the next next highest QAV score, even though it was below our threshold. And that's done really well for me. I bought it at 60 cents, and it's now about a buck So in the last in the last month or two. So I think there is something in this buying the commodity, commodities as they turn. So I'm going to suggest that we swap out those two in the dummy portfolio and put in CAA and C6C. So uh, this introduces a new element to our when do we sell rules. Uh, They're currently, when it breaches its three-point trend line, significant bad news, you need cash for something else, and uh, just cause. No, we had um, uh, senior people resign. Yeah, no, no. Uh, significant, yeah, major significant negative news. That's oh, people okay. resigning. That's part of that. Yep. And uh, just because you want to flip it out now, uh, what's going on? This is a bit, uh, a bit shocking, Tony. <laughs> well, it shouldn't be. I mean, I, it, maybe it comes under the uh, heading of wanting to use the cash for something else. But it's a bit of a test, yeah. I think. If we sort of wait until another stock becomes a three-point sell or meets one of those other criteria for selling, we may have missed the upturn in these commodities. And I think it's worthwhile just testing them because it's a dummy portfolio and see how they go. So this is this comes under these are guidelines not rules. <laughs> it's not a religion. No, seriously, like you go okay, well, you know, yes, they're the major guidelines for when we normally sell. However, 
you know, the, you can experiment if you want. Absolutely. See, uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Now, I getting back to Dr. Copper, I actually used to know an actual doctor who used copper as part of his therapy process. Uh, uh, when I was a kid, there was a guy in Bundaberg whose name was Mr. Pro. Uh, we, we refer to him as old Mr. Pro because his son, Stephen, was young Mr. Pro. But I used to go, when I was like Fox's age, five, six, my grandmother took me on several occasions to see old Mr. Pro. And he had like a house that was like a clinic in the suburbs of Bundaberg. And uh, you would go in and lie down on his table. He would get a divining rod um, and hold it over your body and go up and down your body until it moved and it wavered. <laughs> then he would, from that, he would determine the cause of your malady. And uh, I, I don't know what was going on with me at the time that they took him there, but I obviously had something wrong with me uh, beyond the obvious. Um, too handsome, I think, was the uh, prognosis. But uh, then what he would do is he had these little wooden boxes about mm, six inches long, a couple inches high, that he would put little uh, rolls of coloured cotton in. <laughs> they were like different. It was a, you'd have a specific combination of colours to cure you of your malady. This box then was attached via a copper wire to a copper arm bracelet that you would wear on your wrist and you would lie there in his clinic for an hour wearing the copper bracelet attached to a wooden box of coloured cotton. And you'd have to come back you know, every day or every week uh, for a prescribed period of time and boom, cured, colour therapy. <laughs> so he was the real What's, Dr. Copper type. Oh, thank you. I was waiting for the point. That's great. <laughs> that was, that was <laughs> Dr. Copper. Dr. He would Copper. use copper and okay. coloured cotton. Uh, okay. And my grandmother swore he cured my uncle decades earlier than that of polio using oh, really? uh, this same therapy. I would think if anyone cured anyone of polio, they'd be very, very wealthy and wouldn't be living in Bundaberg. <laughs> hey. Don't, don't be dissing Bundaberg. I, um, I, uh, I've thought for years I'd love to go to Bundy and dig down and do a documentary on that story because yeah. it's one of those things I forgot about. You know, as an adult one day, you, you remember it. You go, what the hell was that? Yeah. What? And I've asked my mum about it. She goes, well, he did cure my brother of polio. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> well, so they say. Mm. There you go. I put right. that in the laying of hands category, Cam. Yeah, pretty much. Power of the power of the mind. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And if you and if you didn't get better, well, you just didn't believe in the cotton enough. You know, <laughs> your faith was lacking. Yes, exactly. Well, I used to have uh, right. relatives who wore copper bracelets and rings. It was supposed to cure arthritis. Yeah, it's still like, a thing. They still sell them in health food stores yeah, right. and stuff. A bit like Ernie and Bert, you know, sticking a banana in his ear to keep away the alligators. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, keep there was elephants. elephants. I don't see any elephants. See, it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Classic. Exactly. Yeah, Cape and Kelly. Let's talk oh, about Cape and one Kelly. One last thing, sorry, on Doctor Copper before I go. There is, uh -huh. uh, uh, if people are like um, Capral Aluminium and Copper Mountain are both very small stocks, so um, it'll be hard to buy into those if you have a larger portfolio. But uh, if anyone's interested, check out Oz Minerals. 
which is lower down again on our QAV checklist. It's not on the buy list. I think it's got a QAV score of around 0.03, but it would be the largest market cap uh, copper play um, on the ASX uh, in in terms of ranking. So using the QAV score to rank them, that's the biggest one that uh, comes to the close to the top of the list. Right. So check that out. Cape and Kelly, yeah, let's talk about that. So people won't have heard this yet, but last week we... That's all right. We can give them some advance notice. So Mm -hmm. last week we did... We had a great chat with Stephen Moriarty. I think it might have been Stephen Mab who suggested we get Moriarty onto the show. He is uh, an investor. I think he's part of uh, like an investing uh, advisory group. He's got a book out, low rates. Less less risk, less risk, low low rates, high returns. That's it. And uh, we had a great chat, and um, it was a great book. uh, And and we sort of, you know, when my my feeling when I was reading the book was that a lot of the basics we agree with. There was some stuff that I thought didn't fit with what you teach in QAV. But my conclusion after the interview was. Well, he's talking to uh, a level of investor. His stuff makes a lot of sense for a level of investor who's lower down the on a lower rung of your investment ladder. It's sort of people that are at an ETF stage. Uh, his stuff might help them get better returns out of their ETFs. So it's he's not really uh, talking to a QAV uh, uh, level investor, so that's fine. Uh, but he uses Cape and Kelly a lot, and uh, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about Cape and Kelly uh, on the back of that. Yeah, thanks. Uh, the reason for for raising it now is that uh, I want to when I when we get these interview um, subjects on, I, I want to try and learn from them and see if I can apply it to. QAV and get better returns. And at some stage during the interview with Stephen, he said that uh, he had gotten, I think it was a 23% compounding return. Now, I think that was for the part of his portfolio that was invested because he holds lots of cash. So I thought I'd try and run some numbers uh, for the last 20 years because he was focused on indexes and ETFs on the Australian stock market anyway, and compare it to my own returns but using the Cape and Kelly methodology. And, and I think we should do a show perhaps on, well, we, we'll put out the Stephen Moriarty interview and if people want to know more about Cape and Kelly, we should probably do a show on it because it is interesting stuff. Um, I've, I've never, I've struggled to apply it uh, to my own investing, but that doesn't mean someone out there listening can't teach us how. But just be- before you go further, can you give us like yeah. a quick two-sentence description of Cape and Kelly? Of course, yeah. So. So CAPE is the is a 10-year average PE. So rather than using a, a PE for the market uh, for this year, it's the 10-year average, rolling average PE for the market. So it tries to smooth out the price-earnings ratio for a particular market. And what it basically does is that it says if the, if the market uh, CAPE, sometimes called the Schiller ratio, is high, you should have less invested in the market. And if the the Cape-Shiller ratio is low, in other words, a low PE for the market, you should invest more. So Kelly says that we should use some maths to work out how much to allocate when the 
uh, when the uh, CAPE ratio is high or low, so more cash when it's high, less cash when it's low. It, long story short, the maths basically says when the, when the odds of an investment are tipped in your favour, you should invest more. And there's a whole history of it going back through how to play better blackjack to uh, signal intelligence back in the sort of World War II periods, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very interesting. The book, the book's called Fortune's Formula, which goes through the whole history of it. I highly recommend it. But uh, yeah, we can talk about it in detail at some stage. But basically what's, what Stephen was saying was, if you're an ETF investor, you want to hold a certain amount of cash in case things go wrong for you. You can put more cash into the market, sort of dollar cost average down. And when things are going really bad in the market, you should have your, your best allocation to the market and, and the least amount of cash. So I, I ran with that through a spreadsheet using the CAPE ratio uh, for the US market, which is what he suggested, but applying the Australian index to that. Interestingly enough, for the Australian market, uh, it, 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 your returns were lower if you used Cape and Kelly to time your entry and exit into the market or your um, weightings of cash going higher or lower into the market than if you just had everything all in all the way along. Um, so that's the first thing I, I found. I understand Steve does a bit of a tweak on that, so he gets better returns than that. But I also thought, and I guess the fundamental thinking behind the strategy is that if you had been taking profits before, say, the GFC came along when the CAPE ratio was high, you would have less exposure to the market and therefore less of a loss, and you would have more cash on the sidelines to buy back in after the GFC when the CAPE ratio was low, so the PE ratio was low for the market. I found that that didn't work for me because even though you do take a big hit during the GFC, you've had outpaced returns before that because um, staying fully invested and getting QAV-like numbers got you that much further ahead than if you had played the uh, cash-on-cash-off game according to the CAPE ratio. And just to run through some numbers, just quickly, um, investing $100,000 into an index fund in 1998 grew to 718000 by 2020. So nice returns, but over 20 years. Doing the same but splitting the 100000 into cash and shares according to the CAPE ratio only made 390000 but you had less volatility. And then my track record, so using my personal record year on year, uh, investing 100000 in uh, 1998, uh, but, not, but, not, um, but keeping it all invested was $2.5 million by 2020. Uh, but using the, the CAPE ratio allocation of cash and shares only grew to $971,000. So this has always been my, my take on this whole sort of argument is that, yes, you have lower volatility. Yes, when the market turns down, you take a lower hit. Yes, when the market's low, you can put more in. But you by having cash in the market, it acts like a, a boat anchor and seriously reduces your return. So um, I think you're right in your summary. CAPE and, and Kelly are good for uh, people who are on the lower rungs of the investment ladder, but people who are getting outsized returns, the, the cash component holds them back. Yeah. So to clarify uh, or expand on something you said at the beginning of that, he said he got, I think, 23% last year 
on his equity component, but that was only 10% of his portfolio. He had his other right. 90% in cash. So obviously the actual return on his entire portfolio is going to be a lot less than 23% of 90% of it sitting in cash for the year. So yeah, I mean, he, he said that himself in the show. Um, so yeah, you, so you've gone and done some regression testing on moving in and out of cash versus your strategy, which is be fully invested at all times. Correct, yeah. And I just wanted to run those numbers down after the interview because it was bugging me that, uh, well, it wasn't bugging me. It was bugging me that he had 23% last year. So that was one thing. So I thought, can I learn? But more so, could I adopt what he was saying to our portfolio? And I don't think I can. Mm. You get lower oh. volatility, but you get lower returns as well. Mm. Mm. Well, and congratulations on continuing to play the role of our intern doing our <laughs> regression testing for us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Thank you. Uh, before we move on, I wanted to give a shout out to Damien Parker, one of our listeners down in the Gold Coast. Stopped in to visit him and his lovely wife Maureen. We had a coffee yesterday on our way back from our little weekend away in the Gold Coast hinterland. So uh, thank you to Damien for taking time out to have a chat. And he's going to come on the show in the next couple of weeks and tell us about his investing and his. Uh, he's got a great background and story himself. He wrote a book on. Uh, business checklists back in the, I think the eighties or the nineties that sold something like 50 or 60 million copies. So, uh, looking forward to hearing more about that. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Hmm. Maybe he can ghostwrite our book and sell a few. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm sure he has nothing better to do with his time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. Into the questions. Hang on. A couple of more things before we do that. Uh, okay. I wanted to just, to, to just report a little bit. I'm, I'm gloating a bit here, so I'll probably have a fall this week. But uh, I know I've said before in the past that one of the reasons why I use a full-service broker is to get access to IPOs. And I managed to have a small allocation, um, it was around $45,000, uh, into an IPO that Alex Hay, my stockbroker, brought me. Just wanted to run through the process. So a couple of weeks ago, Alex um, called me and said, do you have any money? Do you want to go into this float? The company's called Clean Space. They make uh, ventilators and respirators. Their ex-ResMed staff have gone off out on their own to do that. I had He basically called me on Friday with a, um, the chance to get into an allocation. I had to sign up by Monday and pay the funds by Tuesday. Anyway, so long story short, the company listed yesterday at uh, Four, oh, sorry, Friday at four sixty, and the price today was seven twenty one. What's the code? Uh, well, I don't know. It's called Clean Space. So yeah, so it's done really well for me. I'll, I'll from here, I'll probably just trade CSX. I'll just trade using the three point trend lines and see how I go. Um, ideally, I'd like to keep it for twelve months and reduce my capital gains tax. But uh, it's yeah, if it starts to go down, I'll probably sell and lock in the the profits from the um, initial stag. Right. So that was good. And then lastly, worth- next Tuesday is not only the American elections, it's Melbourne Cup. So we talked about Melbourne Cup <laughs> tips last week. So I'm hoping to have some tips for people, which maybe you can put out on the <laughs> Facebook page or via an email next uh-huh. Monday, or at least by Tuesday morning next week. Hopefully by Monday. Yeah, QAV Club subscribers only. Sorry, free listeners. Yeah. You're shit out of luck. <laughs> Uh, On to questions. You're done? Yeah, I'm done. Okay. Andrew asks, hi, Cam and Tony. 
I've been slogging my way through Ben Graham's book, The Intelligent Investor, and in it he suggests that value investors should take into account a company's level of debt. Is this factored into the QAV checklist when we consider net equity? If not, do we or should we consider it in another way? I know we've talked about this before. Yeah, so congratulations to Andrew for going through that uh, doorstop of a book. And it's, you know, written in the 1930s, so the language is a bit old-fashioned as well. But it's a good book, but uh, pay attention to the chapters on uh, the market is a voting machine, not a weighing, weighing machine, uh, and the one about Mr. Market being a um, uh, your neighbour who has a bipolar disease and comes to offer you a price for your companies every day, whether he's feeling high or low. Uh, so good, good on you for that. Uh, we do take the debt levels into account, but we do it via the stock doctor and its financial health ratios. And so uh, if uh, Andrew is a stock doctor subscriber, he can go into a company and have a look at the health ratios. And if he looks at the balance sheet ratios, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven odd ratios in there, which which compare debt to assets and uh, cash to debt and a few other things. I won't go into them here because they're IP for a stock doctor. But uh, they're there and, and you can look at them there. So we use the financial health ratios from Stock Doctor in a, a couple of our checklist items. One is um, that the, the health ratio is good and the other one is that it's trending up. Right. So it is in there even though we don't break it out specifically in the checklist. Correct. If we didn't have access to Stock Doctor, I would amend our checklist to specifically look at that debt to equity ratio, though it's important. Okay, part two of Andrew's question. In the spreadsheet, stocks score a point if the share price is below the Lincoln or analyst's valuation of its fair price. Hypothetically, if the valuation price was a dollar and the current share price was 98 cents, it would score a point even though this difference could be within a reasonable margin of error and the share price just as likely to go down as up. In my own spreadsheet, I've added an additional column where the stock will gain an additional point if it is at least 20% below the analyst valuation. My thinking being that in this case, the share price is just as likely to go nowhere, but hopefully more likely to go up than down. Can you see a flaw in my thinking and logic here? Thanks very much for your time and thoughts, Andrew. Can't necessarily see a flaw in your logic, Andrew. And and I um, like the idea that you're modifying the checklist for your own use. And I'd love to know what your experience of that is in time. Uh, a couple of thoughts around this. First of all, I, I, I've come to the opinion over the years that people can't value a company to within anything like a dollar anyway. So, you know, if the, shop, if the stock price is 20% below or 1% below, I, I think the more important fact is it's below what someone thinks, like Stock Doctor thinks is fair value. So I think IV is more of a directional indicator rather than a perfect indicator or a, or a specific indicator. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is that if something, if a share price is way below what uh, the market consensus is for its IV or what Stock Doctor thinks its IV or what we think its IV is, it, there could be a reason for that. And uh, this, you know that's why sentiment plays a big part in this, because uh, something that's very cheap compared to what the market thinks it should be. Uh, may have a reason for that. And so we look at sentiment and say, is it cheap, but it's going down? So for example, Maya, um, we looked at, or Apollo Tourism and Leisure we've looked at, they they seem to score well on, on, on our measures. They're below IVs 
you, I think from memory in the market as well as with uh, a consensus IV among stockbrokers, our IV and with Stock Doctor, but the share prices are going backwards. So the three-point trend line is important. Uh, and, and I say that it's probably that probably holds more for bigger companies where there's lots of stockbroker research and analysis on them than for small companies. I'm, I'm quite happy buying a small company that doesn't have a consensus IV or a Stock Doctor IV uh, because I, I just think the IV is kind of more like a, uh, a radar map of where valuation is rather than anything you can lock in and, and pay really close attention to. I think there's also a bit of a pendulum effect that goes on too. So, and, and we ride that pendulum. So yeah, you're right. It, it, the IV might start off being, or the stock price might start off being a long way below IV and then get close to IV and then ride a long way above IV because of this pendulum effect that, that uh, you know, people come on board more and more as the stock gets more and more notice and the stock gets more and more notice because the share price is going up and it becomes a nice little um, virtuous uh, circle for us. So that that means I would still buy into it if it was close to its IV price because I think it, it, oftentimes they have more to run than that. But yeah, they're my thoughts. Um, like I said, I'm not paying too much attention to the gap between the, the price and the IV. Uh, but I'd love to know your thoughts or all your experience after you um, run it through your checklist after a while. Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. For the brand new folks, I want you to know that each week we have a free episode and a premium episode. Free episode runs about half an hour. Premium episode usually runs for an extra half hour to an hour, depending on how many questions we have from our audience that week, because we spend a lot of that time answering questions. Uh, if you want to check out the premium episodes, you can go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au and sign up for the two-week free trial. You get to have a look at the premium episodes. You get to have a look at the checklist, the getting started guide, all of the video content that we have. Uh, you get invited to our VIP dinners and our VIP Zoom calls for club members. You get to ask Tony questions that we can answer. You get to get invited to our uh, Facebook group, our private Facebook group, etc., etc. So, And also we get a, a private uh, club member newsletter each week we send out as well with some stuff in it. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au. But as I said, if you're brand new and you want to, you're trying to figure out what's going on, go back and listen to Season 3, Episodes 1, 3, and 5, 301, 303, and 305. And then you might also want to go back and listen to Season 1, as well, all of the free episodes in season one, where we go into a lot of detail about Tony's system and methodology and figure out if this is right for you, if it's something that you want to go further with, if you want to learn how to invest like Tony does, then you can check out the uh, QAV Club. Uh, the other thing I always have to say is we're not financial advisors, so don't take anything you hear on this as financial advice. This is just here to teach how one guy invests and thinks about investing. If you need financial advice or tax advice, please go see a financial advisor or tax advisor. Uh, With that, stay safe. Good luck with your investing. And we'll be back next week. 